From Television City in Hollywood, CBS presents Share. 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 Ladies and gentlemen, share. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to see so many distinguished ladies and gentlemen in the audience tonight. Tonight, my guests are the comedian thespian Tony Randall and the dynamic superb Mr. David Bowie Fly last podcast, as they call it, of August 2020. As the months of 2020 go away, everyone feels pretty good about that. No one wants to remember 2020. Let's just get to December already and try and fix 2021. Even though nobody really likes the odd years, but uh, maybe we'll get used to it. Yes, hello. Remember my name, Jessica. Hello, everybody. Yes, uh, next uh, the next podcast would be September 1st. Can you imagine? Can you believe? What did we start this? March 12th? September 1st? Never thought it would be the situation, right? I mean, it's... Uh, I mean, who would have thought? I mean, really, we ran the gamut. Oh, with no end in sight. Here we are, at least uh, you and me. Together again to uh, talk about the events of the week and hammer things out and uh, try and make sense of things. That's what we're here to do today. Let's turn off the music so we can get going because I can never concentrate when the lyrics are going. Uh, I don't know how to multitask. and Maybe I've made that clear and maybe I haven't, but I don't. I also pretty much finished the entire coffee cup today. I went to Dunkin' Donuts. I haven't been. You know, I've been making coffee at home, but... Uh, I normally, when I go to Dunkin' Donuts, I only finish. I think I'm always finished with it, but I'm always uh, 
really, there's like three quarters left. I guess I don't drink that much. But today I drank the whole thing because I also had some donuts and I read the paper and found some interesting stuff to tell you about uh, quickly before we uh, move on. With not that much to talk about this week. I didn't really do that much. Um, You know, I mean, it really goes off and on. uh, And I'm sure everybody's the same. I'm sure you have weeks in this climate that are you're just doing nothing. You know, I mean, if you don't have a job like me and a lot of people are out of work, you're just some weeks doing nothing. And some weeks you're like, well, let's go out. Let's do something. Let's go to a restaurant and sit outside if we can or whatever. See some people. I I, I think we're allowed to do that. But you know what? I'm really not sure. No one knows what the protocol is because everything is a real mess. Uh, You already know this. I found it out more. In the sense that I had, um, I was at uh, Rhoda's house, my mother's on Thursday, and I picked up a Star Ledger, which is the legendary New Jersey paper that covers all of New Jersey. And um, I read an article that RuPaul is putting a, a dr- what's it called? A uh, drive and drag together where she has all of her folks you know and they they do dancing and people drive into the mall parking lots and hang out you know just the way we've been doing it with gaffigan and speaking of which i believe unless you hear otherwise for me i i haven't gotten the 100 percent, but i think i'm opening for him again at citizens park or whatever you know wherever the phillies play philadelphia phillies in philadelphia uh this saturday whatever date that is the end of august at some point um i well, I know Maureen is opening for him. I'm just getting the word if I'm also opening for him as well. He's very bad at uh, responding to these kind of things. But I'm assuming that uh, that will be happening this Saturday <laughs> at Philly's, Philadelphia Phillies Stadium, which is, uh, I don't know, hilarious. And I almost hope it doesn't happen because I also like doing nothing. Well, you know how good I feel once I get off stage, then it's very exciting, and then we'll have plenty to talk about next week. But for now, that is the plan, Saturday, and uh, I mean, if you see me posted on, on Twitter or Instagram, then you'll know it's um, a thing. Right now, it's uh, I would say it is 85% that it is happening, maybe even 90 But like condoms, there's always a 3% chance that things could go awry, but right now, that is the story. Uh, anyway, what I was saying was that RuPaul does this stuff, right? So she's talking about malls, and I say to myself, boy, you know, I would like to do a show at my favorite mall, Menlo Park Mall in Edison, New Jersey, because that's where I grew up, and I still like that mall, and I like that neighborhood very much, and I'd like to do a show in that parking lot. I wonder how I would do that. And then I looked up some stuff about the mall and who to contact, and, you know, maybe I could put together a show, not... For me, not, not to promote myself in the, in, in the sense of in the way of gaffing, getting a bunch of people, but putting together, you know, a comedy seller show there and, you know, with all my friends and have some singing and dancing, you know, the way I've been wanting to do it. And lo and behold, go figure. My sister's like, oh, I know the person in charge of marketing there. And I'm like, you do? Wait, you will come in handy? What? And we texted her right away and she wrote back right away. She's like, great idea. Unfortunately, Edison is not allowing that. And I said, well, how can that be if they just did it in Paramus last week? I just read it in the paper. 
But apparently it just goes town to town or city by city. There's no, I thought it was a state by state mandate. It's certainly not a national mandate. Nobody knows what the hell's going on. But I guess it also goes from town to town. I mean, what a mess. That's, I mean, that, yeah, and that's Dave Juskow figuring out, wow, uh, yeah, it's a mess, Cherkov. How did you not know? I guess I didn't know. You know, I'm in my bubble here in, you know, New York City, which really is the same thing, uh, I guess. But in this bubble, we're not doing anything. And it just, you know, appeared to me that everybody was doing stuff everywhere else. I just recently heard that they closed down the comedy club like Governors in Long Island. They covered they closed down all of outdoor comedy in the surrounding areas of Manhattan. I don't think Brooklyn or anything. So I don't think New York City, because obviously Mayor de Blasio is insane. Uh, he's sending kids to school when, you know, and uh, let me just explain to you. You shouldn't be sending kids to school if you still can't go inside a restaurant. It's really that simple. Nobody should be doing anything until we can go inside a restaurant. You go inside a restaurant, you can say it's time to go to school. Don't you agree with me? I don't think I'm crazy in that. That seems like the absolute protocol. Because there, you know, I was saying to people, I'm like, you know what's messed up about this? And I think we were talking about this last week, that there's no end in sight. Nobody is ever saying in the paper like they were or or the news like they were the weeks before, like, okay, phase three is we're hoping to start it you know, July 1st, or we're hoping to start July, you know, they give you a date. I haven't read about restaurants opening in two months, and I don't know when it's going to happen or where it's going to happen. All I know is all the restaurants are closing up because nobody can afford this kind of time. You know, I was thinking about the restaurants on my block because we're so close to the 59th Street Bridge. They're not getting the same protocols that a lot of the other restaurants are with the parking lot sidewalk areas areas uh not sidewalk but the you know the the street parking areas which they're allowed to now put you know chairs like they have at the comedy cell you can actually eat on the street um because we're so close to the bridge they can't allow that to happen so the restaurants that are anywhere near the 59th street bridge are pretty much going to close up forever unless you already were a takeout place but if you're a sit-down restaurant and you don't have any place to put anybody you know, you don't, you didn't get, you're the one two or two restaurants that didn't get the permit from the mayor because he was just doling them out. And why shouldn't he? You, you're going to go down. I mean, there's just no way to survive. You can't survive just on takeout if you're a restaurant where most people just come in to have dinner in person. It's pretty bleak. And it's funny that they haven't figured out, well, I guess there's no way to do it. I mean, if you're going to go inside and start infecting people, I don't really what a mess. You know, again, on the flip side of that, like I said, you know, I'm kind of glad because I just don't want things to go back to normal because, you know, I'm having a pretty good time. But um, but we know we have to because then there'll be nowhere to live and nowhere to work and nothing to do. And this is no good. Again, I just wish I wasn't living here. This is a bad time to be living in. New York City. I mean, if there's nothing to do and nowhere to go, why would you want to live in a town full of people? Now, meanwhile, I went outside today to get Dunkin' Donuts. There's nobody on the street. There's nobody. So you take in COVID, number one. You take in the weekend in the summer, number two. And you take the last two weeks in August, if that's even a thing anymore. And there's not a soul on the streets. It's like the beginning of April when I would go out at nighttime and there'd be nobody. The eerie quiet 
that is the Manhattan streets on a Sunday, the way, uh, quite frankly, the way Dave just got Manhattan for a president, would like to see them again in the future. But uh, it's uh, it's a little weird, and it's very noticeable. That was the, I don't think I went out yesterday. or Nope. So uh, I don't know what happened yesterday, but... Uh, and this was 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It's not like it was 8 in the morning or 9 in the morning when maybe it could be quiet. But no, this was uh, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, maybe 1230, whatever. There's nobody around. It's messed up. And uh, I also noticed the 24-hour diner that I usually use is no longer on Seamless or they're closing at 845. That's bumming me out. I don't know what their story is. I don't know why a place that was only based on deliveries anyway would have a problem but maybe nobody's ordering late at night anymore you know except me and that's every just once in a while if i come home from a gig since i'm not getting my after show beer i have to do something can't go out to a bar everything's closed at 11 which again in a way is kind of nice you know what I'm saying? but anyway <laughs> well that's just an old man talking it would be nice. Everything close at 11. I'm okay with that. You know, again, if I was 22, I'd be furious. But uh, I've, all, I've read in the paper today that all these... Um, oh, yeah. I have a couple of things I saw today before I went on that. Uh, all these restaurants... You know, cars are uh, ramming into a lot of the uh, seating at restaurants because they're in the middle of the street. So... I don't think anybody's died yet, but that's coming. And trucks, like going. First of all, they're, they're, I've told you I mean, there shouldn't be any trucks anyway. I mean, I know how do you get stuff, but the uh, trucks—they're—they're they're just bad. I mean, I know they got to do stuff, but some in the cities they're just bad news. On the highways, they're bad news. They go at breakneck speeds because they breakneck speeds because they have to. They got to get where they're going. That's how they make their money. But you know. They do cause a lot of accidents. Um, probably half of them are probably very sleepy. But, yeah, they've been ramming into um, a lot of the cafes that have their stuff on the streets. Because they're not on the sidewalk, remember. They're on the goddamn streets. So, I don't know. It's very easy to be, you know, confused. I mean, it is easy to be confused. Even when I'm riding the bike, I am getting confused sometimes. I'm in the bike lane, but then I see... Wait, are these people walking by and from? I mean, it's a, it's just such a mess. It's kind of fun eating on the street, but I've told you, I mean, it's just like it is a little bit dangerous, and you know, it's you know, it's coming. Something, somebody's gonna mess up somewhere along the line, and then they'll cut that out, and that'll be just the end of life as we know it in New York City. Once the restaurants fully go out of business, that's it. We know that already. Uh, also, you know, they're doing the VMA awards here. And if you think Mario Cuomo, or I keep saying Mario Cuomo, cause I really hated his dad too. Andrew Cuomo, everybody's like, he's so great. So great. You know, I don't like him. I think he's stupid. I mean, I, you know, what do you see? What's going on in Jersey? You don't want to legalize gambling and pot. You're going to make a over a billion dollars for this, for the state. You know, I mean, it's so easy. Uh, Maybe I can understand the gambling if you're trying to help people, but weed seems to just help people in a positive way. So I don't know what your deal is, but that's not the only reason. I think the, I think he's a little uh, a little seedy, a little sketchy uh, when it comes to uh, rents and buildings, things like that. 
But now he's approved, you know, the VMAs, the Video MTV Video Music Awards, as if that's even a thing anymore that my niece uh, Liza worked at last year and had a hell of a time, are going to be in Brooklyn this year. They're going to be in Brooklyn. Do you understand? Pete, the stars are coming to Brooklyn. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the governor said, this. Uh, you know what, Let's we'll make a concession for all the people that are coming in for the VMAs from California or from wherever the hell they're coming in, in Texas and Phoenix, they, are, they do not have to quarantine once they get off the plane. He's making concessions. So the VMAs go on as scheduled. You're, you're telling me everybody's on board with this Andrew Cuomo being awesome? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Kanye just flew in, in in today, and he just flew into Teterboro, and then he went into the tunnel, and then he's changed cars so nobody would find him. This is the guy that's trying to run for president who doesn't know how to file on time. Well, we know he's crazy, but that's all right. But all these people are coming in, and, uh, you know, there's all these restrictions, but apparently the celebrities do not have to follow them. Oh, people love that. I'll tell you, you know, if the Democrats want to win and these people, you know, they're going to say shit at the VMAs, you know, you're going to pull the same shit you pulled with Hillary. Nobody wants to hear from celebrities. Nobody wants to hear from celebrities. You're going to make Donald Trump win again. You dumb fucks. I swear to God, no one wants to hear from the, you know, they're going to spout their political views at the VMAs. And right now, who would want to hear from somebody where the mayor has lifted restrictions on everybody else for the celebrities showing up at the VMAs. At the VMAs, so they can pick up awards. It's not like they're doing charity work or anything, or something special where we can make, uh, like, oh, that's nice, that's nice. It's not like that. I'm not sure what the pr- the purpose of this is. He's trying to say, like, oh, New York is still alive, we're having shows here. Oh, my God. Man, you are blowing it for your own stupid party. You're going to look stupid and no one wants to hear from celebrities. It's funny that they don't seem to get it. That the regular folk, whether you're Democrat or Republican, do not want to hear from celebrities. The only celebrity we want to hear from is Scott Baio. I'm kidding. But seriously, (laughs) oh my God. It's funny that they don't seem to, they don't seem to understand. Now, in more much more hilarious news. Get ready. Cannonball Run News, people. Yeah, I know. Words you thought you'd never hear in the year 2020. 
Hey, folks, I've got new Cannonball Run news, and it's not about a movie. Yeah, I've got Cannonball Run news. <laughs> I just wanted to say it because I can't believe it's coming out of my mouth. You're not going to believe this, but somebody actually ran the Cannonball Run and made a record this past week. These guys made it from Los Angeles to New York in 25 hours and 39 minutes. Why, that's a new Cannonball record. And they didn't do it in an ambulance. This guy, Arnie Toman and Doug Tabbitt. But they do credit COVID uh, as, as the reason why they were able to do it. Because the roads are a little bit more clear. So they took advantage of the quieter roadways during a lockdown to cross the country at speeds of 175 miles an hour in a mod- this is the best part I mean this is right out of the movie in a modified 2016 Audi S6 that they made to look like a Ford Taurus police interceptor from far away they refashioned the Audi with a 45 gallon trunk mounted fuel cell and a decoy badge I mean these guys were pretty much it's like they you know being in the ambulance these guys are genius. We got to get these guys on the show. They did the cannonball run. 25 hours, 39 minutes. I mean, that is hilarious. I can't believe that's a thing. What? Cannonball. Ooh. Yeah. Cannonball. Cannonball. Hey, now cannonball. 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 <laughs> Roadhouse. <laughs> I thought that was the great. I read that and I'm like, well, if I don't talk about that on the Night Flight podcast, then we need to stop this podcast immediately and never, ever speak of it again. If that's not Nightfly huge news, then I don't know what is. For real. I mean, that's pretty much it. There it is. Somebody made the cannonball run in 12 parsecs. Oh, no, wait. I'm mixing up cannonball and Star Wars. I love that story. I get it, right? Don't you want to get those guys on the on the pockets? They're probably easy to get. I mean, I can't believe anybody's talking. I mean, I guess I, I don't even know if they'd want to do it because well, I guess they told everybody. I mean, I guess it's pretty illegal, but it's kind of awesome. Kind of what we needed right now. We need these guys. They're heroes. They're heroes, man. Hey, man. You know what? We played up front. Speaking of heroes. Speaking of heroes. What a transition. The clip that we played up front of the Cher show from 1975. When she says her guests are Tony Randall and David Bowie. Which is just absolutely, you know, what a great combination. Something you're never going to hear anywhere else. And then... They did a Young Americans medley, the two of them. Now, it's six minutes long. We're not playing the whole thing. We'll just get a little started. It's Cher and David Bowie performing together live. They're not, like, in separate places. It's not COVID. 
And it's a fucking miracle that it happened. But you know what the real miracle is, is that uh, if David Bowie were alive, they'd both still be completely iconic. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's amazing that Cher, to this day, is still an icon. It's fascinating. You got to see the dancing moves, too. It's fantastic. He looks amazing. He looks like he's ready for the 80s to start. You know, he's he looks perfect. She's wearing a hilarious red wig. The bull is behind the bridge. He lays it down. She frowns. Gee, my life's a funny thing. I'm still too young. Still there. She took a train. Took his baby. Took him in. Took her nowhere. Never knew she'd have taken everything but you know no, they're still singing it's david bowie and Cher. they just switched the it happened Looking into each other's eyes. anymore but it's um it goes on for another four minutes i and then they at the end get back to them let's just go to the end shall we I just can't believe Bowie would let that happen. But I think in 1975, he was trying to sell albums. And 
you can't write a song called Young Americans and not perform it in America with, I guess at that time, the most popular person in America. I mean, it was after Sonny and Cher broke up and they both went their separate ways before they came back and did Sonny and Cher again, but... I guess it's a good move on his part. I mean, no, I mean, where else are, are they going to let you do a six or seven minute, you know, piece? Uh, you know, they're not going to let you do it on the Carol Burnett show. I don't think. I mean, Cher was looking for content. I mean, the rest of that show is a disaster, but it's really funny, and it's just funny when you think of somebody like David Bowie, who's so. You know, serious. It took his career so the way you know. Both of them really, who just kept changing their. I mean, really, you know, it's funny when I, you know, when you think about it. At first, you're like, wait, how did this happen? And then when you think about it, these are two people that actually belong together. People that keep reinventing themselves over the years and had staying power. It's quite phenomenal. I mean, really, quite phenomenal. It does make a lot of sense. Did Cher not reinvent herself? She sure did. Bowie just did it, you know, more times than you could possibly imagine. But Cher did it like three times, hence the Cher show, and three different people playing Cher on Broadway. The team-up actually makes sense. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> song, song, blue. Everybody knows one is the loneliest number. That's, it's like a joke. It's like a, a picture of Rick Moranis doing it. Uh, like we played on that SCTV that time. It's unbelievable. God, don't you love that kind of shit? Don't you love it? So um, on uh, Monday, I uh, got some money back from the government that I had been waiting. I got my back pension that I had been waiting for ever since the Little Rascals episode. Um. And of course, my friend Joe, who, you know, again, is the the, the old CFO of my uh, company and very, you know, uh, concerned him and my mother and my sister with the way I, I spend money or the way I need to conserve. And, you know, t- I do tend to spend a lot, uh, although, you know, not now, but I spend a lot on dinner sometimes. And uh, he goes, well, you're going to buy that Pac-Man machine, right? That Video One arcade, right? Uh, you know, because remember, I got the Golden Tee Golf machine. And he's, you know, he's like, now you have money to get that, right? I mean, and I'm like, yeah, no, 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 of course. So I called him right away, and I, I ordered it immediately, and it's here now in my house. The Pac-Man 40th anniversary machine. It's got like seven Pac-Mans, you know, Pac-Man, Pac-Man Land, Pac-Man, Pac-A-Doo-Dee-Boo-Dee-Bob, Not Ms. Pac-Man, though. That's a whole other machine that's coming out in October. I didn't want to get that one because that has Galaxian, and this one has Galaga, which has always been my favorite, and I usually never talk about it, but I even mentioned it in my high school yearbook. That's right. Yes. All right. So I'd never been with a girl, and I mentioned a video game. And All right. Look. But yes, um, Galaga has always been my kind of my favorite. So now I have a stand-up, upright machine that has Galaga. That's pretty much the reason I bought it, but it has all the different Pac-Mans. And uh, I'm just going to make this whole area into these video machines. The next time I get, you know, a large sum of money, I'll, I'll get a third one. I don't know when that's going to be, but, you know, then I'll get a third. I'm going to make a, a whole uh, video arcade. Well, actually, we were looking into these pinball ones that look amazing. They're like virtual pinball, but still looks good. We even looked at a skee-ball machine, <laughs> but that's you got to have a house for that, I think, um, and a true game room. But, I mean, I don't know. if When things go back to normal... 
Uh, I was talking to my friend Caitlin, and she's like, well, you got a piano and video games? I'm going to be there every night. I'm like, now nah, nah, we're talking. And she's 24. That's exactly what you want to hear from somebody that age. This is going to be party central when we can party again, man. What's up? It's going to be awesome. Maybe my cleaning lady will be over COVID and her pregnancy by then. She can come in, clean the place. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. I haven't put it together yet because I don't have any room to put it. But when I clean out that area, oh, it's going to be some sweet-ass magic. I mean, uh, yeah, it came just the big box. I made sure it was, like, upstairs. I, you know, Because I know it sits down there in this area that they don't have packages because it's so huge. And I don't want people to see it when they walk by. They're like, oh, who got the video machine? I don't want people to know. You know, it's uh, so I found that it was there and then I got it right away. And it took me like an hour to get upstairs. It's very heavy. And the last one was really difficult to put together. But me and my Jew body did it. <laughs> we were able to somehow put it together. Remember, I, I bought an electric screwdriver, the best investment I ever made. And it seemed to make a difference. But I'll tell you, though. If they didn't have how to put it together on YouTube, I'm not sure if I could have done it just by the instructions. I guess I would have been able to figure it out. But I would not have been able to do it without an electric screwdriver. That I am too weak to do it regularly or I just have to do it in – no. You just couldn't do it. I mean that's why I bought that thing. I was putting all this stuff together. I got a – I'm looking at my dresser drawer, my nightstand, and the TV stand. I put all those together with a regular screwdriver, and I'm like, all right, enough of this. We're buying an electric. What does that cost? Ten bucks? Totally worth every penny. You don't need a hammer. You just need an electric screwdriver. They set it all up for you. The players couldn't get a drink at the table. He was banging cocktail waitresses two at a time. So now I'm all set. And then Tuesday, I started my exercise regimen again. It was beautiful. Now, I was trying to get, you know, with my yoga regimen or whatever it is that I do. <laughs> I mean, it's supposed to be yoga, but if you saw me, you're like, what, what, what is this? What are you doing? I tried to get a reg- – I wanted to get a class, like a thing, like beginner class for, I told you, a combination of yoga and Pilates. I thought that would be a good plan, but it's very difficult to find. So I found this site called Glow, and they have a bunch of class, beginner classes, but I can't use them. Too many dudes teaching yoga. That's right. Can't have it. Sorry. I don't think it's a homophobia thing. It's just like, I like when girls teach it. I like when they have soft voices. I like when the women teach yoga. Now, on the flip side of that, it's funny because I've been, you know, watching this one particular woman that I watch on YouTube. Not, listen, can we all be adults for a second? To watch because I like her yoga class. Um, And sometimes she does stuff. I'm like, that, I, I yell, I'm like, that's not even, a man couldn't even do that. So technically, you would think you would want a man to do but no it's just i can't i don't like male uh, soul cycle instructors um i just uh it's not for me i prefer the girls which is odd because you would think i would only want men because i'm embarrassed in front of the girls i'm talking about even you know obviously this is just on tv but i guess it's all way because i i normally wouldn't want the women to see me uh exercising (laughs) i'd be embarrassed but, yeah, the dudes just aren't right. I mean, if it's like a kickboxing class, I guess I wouldn't care. 
Um, I don't know what. I guess it's just uh, specific into what I'm doing. Um, whether it, well, it can't sound sexist, can it? I mean, if I'm saying I'd prefer women instructors, um, I guess it did sound sexist when I said kickboxing. I don't know. Listen, this is what I want, right? I can't have a dude teaching me yoga. It's just not right. I don't know. I mean, I know I'm doing yoga, and I know some of my boy friends. Now that's not a gig. Listen, folks, again, can we be adults? Um, do yoga, but uh, it's just such a feminine exercise that uh i don't know i just feel better with a woman teaching it and i don't like the guys in it i mean i guess if they were ridiculously handsome but these guys they look a little weird um i don't know it's just not working maybe and maybe it's a little too gay i'm sorry uh so yeah i want women and i want a beginner class and um so glow isn't working too many dudes so i gotta find something um, I don't, you know, I don't know any male yoga instructors, so I don't know where they're coming from. All the yoga instructors that I know personally that like got so into yoga and then became instructors are all women. So I don't know what the hell is going on. I, you know, it's weird because you would think I would like it. maybe in person I would like it, you know, like if I knew them or something, but, uh, it's not working online for me. So what are you going to do? That's what I like. But I got this new regimen, right? I do the 15 or 20 minutes of yoga. At my house, obviously. Then I go for a bike ride. I get the bike. And it's so funny because I've just been looking for a regular bike, not the electric bike. And every time I've gone out this week, I found two electric bikes. You know, like when I can never find the goddamn electric bikes. Anyway, so at the regular bike, go down to like 42nd or 34th and then come up 1st Avenue, which is all hills. So it's a, it's a short bike ride, but it's, you know, it's a nice bit of exercise it is um because there's it's very hilly especially coming up first avenue very hilly but i you know pump it on the hills you know i I go for i don't try and you know take it easy like i do if i'm going somewhere i don't want to get sweated up and then i go for a walk all the way up to 72nd street right so that's my new exercise regimen and uh it's been where the first day i did it i had to lie down afterwards like i couldn't even shower i i'm like all right i i overexerted but I'll get more used to it, and it's at least it's some form of exercise where I'm stretching and doing some form of cardio. Uh, so it makes me feel better that you know something is uh, you got you got to do something, right? You got to do something because last week I was really just hanging around, and that's no way to be. And I need to work on projects and do stuff. And you can't. Now I realize, you know, unfortunately, you cannot retire if I'm going to retire without doing some form of exercise and getting outside, even walking. That's what old people do. I'm trying to uh, amp it up since I enjoy the cycling. Now, I hate exercising in New York City. I don't like exercising in, you know, on the stupid city bike in the city, but that's all I got. That's it. I mean, I wish I lived somewhere else uh, for exercising purposes outside, but that's all I got. There's nothing I can do about it. It stinks. I really hate it here lately. You know, I just really do. I hate going grocery shopping. I can't get the stuff that I want. Just get really angry. But sooner or later it'll all end. And probably not well. Now, on Wednesday, I went out uh, with Artie's sister, Artie Lang's sister, and we had uh, dinner. A lot of people were asking me, is this a date? Because she's certainly pretty and age-appropriate and single. And I said, no, I don't think so. 
I think it's just two friends getting together for dinner. But maybe I wasn't sure. You know, I'm never really sure. And uh, as soon as we got to the restaurant, I'll tell you about that in a second, but as soon as we got to the restaurant, she ordered uh, broccoli rob and tomato and onions. So I knew it wasn't a date. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> because, well, you know. Uh, <laughs> so that eased up everything pretty good. Uh, so I was going to this steak place that's in Hoboken because my friend, Caitlin, uh, who I used to work with, who's now going to law school, I'm so proud of her, um, who was, you know, by my side uh, when I got Me too which is a miracle. You know, I mean, I told her how important it was to me that somebody of her age, who at the time was only 23, uh, still wanted to be friends with me because, you know, I, I don't know how I'd feel if um, I was friends with somebody in their 50s and they got, you know, fired from the firm for whatever it was I did. Now, fortunately, they knew the girl who got me fired, so they knew she was insane. So her and this other girl, Sophie, they remained my friends, and that made me happy forever because, seriously, there'd be nothing worse than all your, you know, 23-year-old girlfriends, uh, you know, turning their back on you because you're disgusting. I mean, I know that should happen anyway, but it doesn't. And for some reason, they still like me. So um, it makes, you know, it really meant a lot. Anyway, apparently her stepdad owns a restaurant in Hoboken, uh, like a steak place, you know, like Wolfgang's, like I like. And I'd been planning to go there, but Caitlin won't let me go there with her because her dad doesn't understand why she's hanging out with a 55-year-old man. Now, I guess I get that. Um, but, you know, we've invited him to some of the comedy shows. Stuff, so I'm sure once he may, met me, it would be fine. But I get it. If I didn't know, I'd probably be upset with my daughter, too. So that's why I invited Stacy. I'm like, hey, come with me. And then, you know, it'll be cool. And then Caitlin, even though she's going to law school, she goes, I'll stop by. I'm like, terrific. Anyway, as it turns out, they weren't working that day. And I was so mad at Caitlin because I just, uh, you know, I pop in the middle. I, you know, I, I planned the whole day. I got there in time. I had to take my car out because the ferry doesn't work. And of course, I had to get it, you know, jumped because the car is just a disaster. And I'm getting a new alternator on Thursday. I don't know how much that's going to cost. That's what I'm thinking about getting a new car because I said once I put an expense into it, I would, you know, the 20 year old car, then maybe it's time to get a new car. But, so I got to start it every time. You know, I got to go down in the parking garage and they got to restart my car every time by uh, jumping it. It's a real pain in the ass. But normally I would have taken the ferry, but it just doesn't. They haven't opened it up again since COVID. So there's nothing I can do. And uh, so I took my car and I planned it all out. And then she goes, yeah, they're not working today. It's their day off. And I'm like, what? She goes, well, normally Tuesday's their day off, but they changed it. And I'm like, well, what's the point of going then? So we went anyway, and we sat outside, and it was very lovely. And, uh, you know, so the, the, the kid's uh, daughter, uh, stepdaughter joined us and everything, Caitlin. We had a really nice time, although Stacy did spill wine on me, and you know that is my pet peeve. God damn it. She wasn't even drunk. It just drives me insane. I cannot go out with one girl that does not spill wine. It, she's lucky it was white wine. Because then I might have gotten up and left. I'm always wearing white pants when it happens. Because it's summer. Oh, it it really drives me insane. And, you know, it's again, I was just like, watch that wine. Watch that wine. You're being careless. 
you're throwing your purse around, whatever you're doing. I mean, it's like these girls, they just don't pay attention. I know that sounds horrible, but I mean, how many times did I got to go through this where I say, please just be careful, and then they spill it, and there's nothing you can do about it. Unfortunately, like I said, it was white wine, so it disappeared, but oh, that could have ruined the night for me, but it didn't. We moved on. We had a very nice time, the three of us, and then the bill came, and it was very expensive. It was like 300 bucks. I was like, damn it. But I kind of expected that. But also, I didn't because I thought I would get some form of discount since I was there with the stepdaughter's step, the owner's stepdaughter. You know, I'm not being Jewy. I'm just saying, ah, oh, maybe they'd throw in a free drink or a dessert or something. Man, she put on everything this way. She put on everything, including Caitlin's meal, which I said, you know, go order whatever you want. I'll pay for it. Um, and she goes, no, no, I, I eat for free here. But she didn't well she did but it was on the bill and when she called and they called the next day i'm like hey i really good time um you know and i i i I can't help myself i guess i am a a, a, like i'm not a cheap jew but i as a jew (laughs) you know i can't i'm just like yeah they charge us for everything but you know whatever we're gonna do and i really don't care but i guess i did you know it's like what's the point of going there if i you know i could have gone anywhere i could have stayed in manhattan then if i was gonna you know get charged for everything She's like, wait, they charge you for my food? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's not a big deal. But she goes, no, that's not supposed to happen. And, um, you know, if my stepdad's, and, and he even said, give them something for free. And this waitress, she did. So the, the waitress is getting in trouble. I think her name was Charlotte. I don't mind telling you. I don't care. She was fine and everything, really fine. But um, how are you sitting there with the owner's stepdaughter and you don't, you don't get a, a, a piece of cake? Or something, or a cup of coffee for free? I didn't even get a cup of coffee for free. I don't understand how that's even a thing. You know? I mean, a, a glass of wine. I had three glasses of wine. Never should have had that third one anyway. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think that's the re- you know, that's the reason I'm like, yeah, I want to check this place out. She goes, he doesn't, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't bring a lot of people. I'm like, whatever. I mean, just, I just can't imagine going in there with some, a relative of somebody and just not, you know, one thing to be like, hey, it's cool. I know he wasn't there, but it's still a little weird. Um, I don't know. Then I thought maybe, well, it's COVID. They got to, you know, do everything. But whatever. It was still a nice time. I just was angry because I spent too much money and, you know, I bought the Pac-Man machine. So all of a sudden, there were two big expenses and that was not the plan. The big plan was to buy the Pac-Man machine and that should have been it. And I messed up. So then I was kind of depressed about that all week because well you know i didn't want to spend that much i wanted to just make one expense and when i say the pac-man machine was like 300 bucks so it's really not that big a deal but then you put on another 300 bucks and then you're like well now i'm being a dick now i'm going back to my old ways of spending you know habits and then all of a sudden i'll have nothing again so that ain't cool you got to be careful, especially now. I don't know. I mean, this is it. You know, there there will be no more money to get. Um, yeah. I mean, I really just, after this is gone, I'm not sure how we're going to make a living. But, you know, whatever. I don't worry about that kind of stuff because, uh, you know, things work out, right? We'll figure it out. Everybody will. Everybody has to. Or somebody will give us a hand, right? Because we... we uh, we're nice people. We we deserve it, I, I, I think. I hope. But still, uh, anyway, I got home that night, and I guess I was a little 
loopy and uh, I slept for about three hours and then I was up about two o'clock and I had to park my car at a, I didn't want to bring it back in the garage because I didn't want to have them bother starting or whatever and I had to go leave like at, you know, eight in the morning for the parking space thing or something. So I didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep at all and I was exhausted, but I had to go to my mother's house with Beth and uh, she taught us how to play Mahjong. You knew you heard me right. Yes. Our mother taught me and my sister how to play Mahjong. Now, I've always wanted to know how to play it because many years ago in the 90s, the early 90s or the mid 90s, I was hanging around with these Chinese guys and we were all gambling together, you know, and we go to these, uh, you know, Mahjong parlors and I would just watch them just the way I used to watch the comedians play poker all the time. <laughs> and I would just watch them and I'm like, I'll never learn. I mean, it's impossible. You, I mean, at least poker you kind of know what's going on. You know, everybody's got an inkling of poker, but Marjan, you're looking at those tiles and they're going, <clears throat> you know, they're going bam, crack. And you're like, what, what, what is this? But you know what? I mean, I always wanted to play and it was be fun. In fact, they, the guy's name was Chinese David. That's what we'd call him. Chinese David. And his son was JT. And they had a bar called orange valve right next door to the Bowery hotel where I usually hang out with Sarah Silverman all the time, which is why it's funny because, you know, I walk past. It's not that place anymore, but it's so funny that I used to hang out with all these Chinese people. I was the only white guy in there. Um, and I knew that, you know, his whole family. And uh, all we talk about is gambling and do gambling. And then they would play Mahjong and Mahjong. And, of course, I'm obsessed with Mahjong from uh, Crazy Rich Asians, the greatest movie ever made. Uh, you know, cause I wasn't sure if that's what they were playing. Cause it looked, the tiles looked different and the way she won was different, but that was what they were playing. I looked it up to see what they were playing when that girl at the end, spoiler alert, really lets, uh, you know, her mother and her mother-in-law to be have it. <laughs> it was awesome that the, uh, bond lady who was terrific, but you, you hate her so much. Boy, what a good actress. Oh, if I saw her, I'd be like, why are you like that? Oh, wait, that sounded like Chinese right here. Why are you like that? But that wasn't supposed to be the case. Um, anyway, we really had a good time. I got to say, I am like, you know, then I, I went home and I went online. I'm like, where can I play against the computer? I kind of like it. Um, I guess, no, I guess it's not. I, I guess women play it, but Chinese men play it. And um, well, now I'm going to play it. I think so. It's, a, you know, you got to have, first of all, you got to have this year's card. <laughs> I've always had the uh, the you know the the yearly mahjong card. It's only nine dollars, but uh, we have one from 1947, which was only nine cents, maybe even less than that. Uh, that my grandmother and Aunt Judy had from a long time ago. The 1947 mahjong rules, and the best is that the rules always change in the hands that you have every year. That's why you got to have the card, so you can't master it all the time, which is kind of cool. Well, that's kind of an interesting game that, you know, there's it, the rules are always changing every year. I like that in a game. That's quite fascinating. But, uh, yeah, it's really – it's a little complicated and there's a lot of stuff and you want to go fast. But, you know, we took our time and we played it like – I don't know. You got to play with four players. So my sister was playing two hands and she didn't even know what she was doing. So it was taking too long. But normally if you had four, it would be kind of fun, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I've always wanted to learn how to play. My sister's like, mommy's going to teach us how to play Mahjong. I'm like, oh, great. She probably was like, wait, you want to play? And I'm like, oh, my God, yes. I was just really tired, but 
I still really enjoyed it. So now, eh, think about this. We finally found something like we can't wait to go to our mom's house now so we can all play Mahjong together. I mean, look, whatever it takes, right? It certainly wasn't there to go eat. So if we found finally something after all these years, be funny if my mom died now, like a month from now. <laughs> hey, we finally found a reason to go down there and that she just dies. That would be epic, but no, I've told, I'm not even worried about saying it because she's going to live to be a hundred and something. She's going to live to be Olivia de Havilland's age. She's going to live to, uh, I, I, it's going to be classic. She's going to live to be 111 and then find out that if you kept kosher, you're going to hell. That's going to be classic at 110. Like Olivia de Havilland finding out that Gone with the Wind is a racist movie. Uh, at the age of 110, and she's feeling pretty good about herself that uh, she had a good life. It, it, that's something like Rhoda's going to find out at 110. Wait, I should not have kept kosher? Oh, my goodness. Oh, that would be hilarious. And after that, I don't know. I don't know. It's like I wanted to do the podcast on Saturday. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't put it together. I cannot tell you why. But that's the story. And now I would like to talk to you about Alan Parker, the great Alan Parker. Just for a second, Alan Parker died, and he was a very – we've talked about him before he died as a filmmaker that I really liked very much. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I haven't seen all of his work. I just don't care. And I tried to watch this movie because I knew I was going to talk about him today called uh, Shoot the Moon with Albert Finney and Diane Keaton. And I watched uh, the first 45 minutes and I'm like, nah, this isn't for me because it was late at night. and I was just, It was just too depressing. It wasn't working. It's not something you want to see. Kobe. Remember, I didn't like the marriage story with Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and everybody was talking about how great it is. I I. I don't like movies about marriages that are falling apart. I've never been married. I don't want to see it. I I just, you know, I understand if you don't want happy things and you have said, but I, that's not for me. I gave it a try. Diane Keaton's fascinating in it because, <clears throat> you know, because she's, sometimes I forget, you know, that she is an actress because she's been in so many Woody Allen things and stuff. And some, when you see her in something else, um, It's just interesting to know that she is a regular actress and not just the goofy Annie Hall. I mean, I know everybody knows because you don't win two Oscars and say that you're one note person. But uh, so that was pretty good. And I really like Albert Finney. But uh, it just and Karen Allen's in it, too, right off Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, So it had a lot of interest in it. Just I like the way it just kind of cuts into it. But I didn't it just wasn't working. I mean, I'll. Might check out the rest of it only because we were talking about Alan Parker. But the reasons why I like Alan Parker is because there were two films in particular that just really I think about all the time, or maybe three really, that, you know, are so different and diverse. And yet that's the reason why I would always talk about him all the time is because his movies were always so different. And we talked about this last week where, you know, you, 
when you see a Martin Scorsese movie, you're waiting for the next Martin Scorsese movie. You know what you're getting. You know what you're getting with a Martin Scorsese movie. You know what you're getting with a Woody Allen movie. With Alan Parker, you never knew what you were getting. You just knew you were going to get good movie making, but you didn't know what you were getting. And we're talking about the fact that the, the guy's first film, the you know, after doing commercials, is Bugsy Malone. I mean, this guy was banking his entire career on Scott Baio. I mean, how can he not respect that? I'm joking, of course, and although I'm really not. He, um, he, I mean, he had Jodie Foster in it, too, so that was pretty good. And I think she was coming right off Taxi Driver, so you really couldn't go wrong. But it is odd to, well, it's odd in a second. I mean, first of all, I never liked Bugsy Malone. I didn't care for it or its music or anything because it's by that Paul Williams guy who just never writes an uplifting song, you know, so it's... Let alone they didn't use... None of the kids are singing. It's all Paul Williams singing and they're lip syncing. It's very odd. This is the most uplifting song on the show. That's why... And it's still sad. But I never liked this movie. And it's weird. I should like this movie, right? It's a musical with Scott Baio. <laughs> There's no reason that Dave Jessica shouldn't like this movie, but I don't. It just bores me. I've tried to watch it a dozen times, and it just doesn't work for me. I, I don't know why. Um, I just never liked it. And it was a bomb here. The, uh, the only reason why it was somewhat successful is they paired it with the Bad News Bears in 1976. And, you know, it made some money, but it was a hit in Europe. But, you know, that's not where I live. So I didn't care for it. Nobody was talking about it. And it's just kind of funny that his two leads actually went different directions, but still have staying power. I mean, Scott Bale's still, I, isn't he opening the Republican National Convention tomorrow or taping on Sunday? I mean, <laughs> I mean, if that's true. Jesus Christ, that's pretty good. And we know the staying power Jodie Foster's had. <clears throat> that's pretty damn impressive. It's, um, but, you know, Scott Baio went the television route and Jodie Foster went the movie route. But uh, they, you know, they re they have reunions sometimes. And it's funny because Jodie Foster shows up and she loves talking about it and she'll show up at the reunion. And so Scott Baio will show up, but he looks miserable. It's really funny. Jodie Foster is sitting there with a big smile on her face. You would totally think it would be the other way around. And then the people who are completely unknown, who uh, you know did one movie and out. But the reason, and again, we've talked about this before, but Alan Parker's next movie was Midnight Express. Now, you couldn't go a more different direction than a children's movie, which he was trying to make because he was sick of the kids' movies like that they were making. Because just we've talked about that before. They didn't make kids' movies, so... You know, he wanted to make a movie for his kids and, you know, make it interesting and not like the others, and which he did. But Midnight Express, you know, if you're making a movie, uh, you know, about the, uh, the, 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 the bad times in a Turkish prison, I'd say if you're trying to do something more diverse, I don't think he did it to say, well, now I have to do something more diverse. I think he just did it just to do it. Um, because that's the thing. He didn't do anything for box office reasons. He didn't do anything for money. He did projects that he liked, and he liked bouncing around from musicals to comedies to dramas, and that is why I just think he's so cool, let alone 
you know, Midnight Express, my, I mean, who doesn't think of that on a daily basis? Um, you know, if, if, especially if you've been to jail, as unfortunately as often as I have, uh, <laughs> you can't, you can't stop thinking of that shit. I'm like, oh, um, <clears throat> maybe one of the uh, sheriffs will come in and I'll, you know, hit his head on one of the coat racks or something. I mean, you can't stop thinking about it. It's so messed up. It's in my head all the time. There's so many scenes in it you just don't walk away with ever. And that's right after the children's movie Bugsy Malone. That's cool, man. You just don't see that a lot or ever. I'm trying to think of an example of somebody who's gone to an extreme like that, and I can't. And so then after that, he made fame, which is, you know, what we played at the opening. I mean, fame was was great, right? Another musical. This guy's like, I don't want to make a contemporary music. I don't want to make the old musicals we all know i don't want to make grease i don't you know and that was the one that just had come out just before that uh i don't want to make it like a fred astaire shit i want to make a musical you know just modern and gritty and stuff and it was cool you know he's got a website alan parker he's dead but his website lives on alanparker.com and he has all these essays on making all of these films and it's really great and he was talking about making fame and how he's talking about if you if you know anything about the movie when they had that dancing on 46th Street in Times Square, which I'll never forget, you know, as a kid just seeing that opening scene in the trailer and be like, this looks unbelievable. That dancing over cars in the middle of the streets and taking over. And it's like that was such a great teaser because you're like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense that the kids that go to the high school, the performing arts would be doing that outside. But of course, it makes no sense. Of course, that never happens. And yet that was his plan. He's like, no, let's make it seem like this happens every day. Somebody plays loud music outside, they're going to come and dance it up and sing and play instruments. And I think it was more like that's what you thought it would be like. And that's why the lunch scene, if you ever get to see it, the song is called Hot Lunch. You know, you really believe... Well, maybe this is probably what it's like. And for somebody like me who probably would have preferred to go to the high school of the performing arts, maybe, uh, you know, uh, a movie like that would say to me, well, there's no way I'd last in the high school of performing arts. I mean, what he did, and I don't even know whether it's like this, it was so gritty and, you know, all ethnicities, something, you know, you'd never seen before in a, in a movie about school blacks and whites and gays and whatever right i mean everybody's at this school and it's just a free-for-all of craziness and you get a little scared and the you know they have the one character who's like terrified of walking into the lunchroom because everybody's insane and just somebody starts with a beat and you know it just picks up into this thing and of course then they have the uh you know the the, the music comes in but the way it organically kind of goes very much like West Side Story of the opening where they're, you know, doing the uh, the dance with the snapping and stuff, and then all of a sudden it turns one guy starts to do a little pirouette or a Sinead turn on the street, and it turns into the dance number. But the way it organically forms, it's really, I mean, let alone, again, he talks about making this movie on 46th Street. It took three days in the summer I don't even you if you you know since I've directed one of the worst movies ever made I don't mind telling you I don't know how the hell you pull that shit off I don't know how you I mean you have to be in charge of shit to be a director I mean you can't just 
oh, here's a nice shot. You got to be in charge of everything. I mean, I know you got other people around you, but you got to tell people where to go. You got to be with a megaphone and tell people how to move or where to stay or how to go. And obviously there's choreographers and everything like that. But I mean, you know, wow. And, they're, you know, they were holding up traffic and everything, which, of course, my dad was probably stuck in and angry. He didn't know they were filming a classic. But, yeah, it's really great, especially that he wanted to film in America. He's a British guy. And he wanted to film, uh, you know, in America and like that. And they didn't want him to do it because they're like, uh, no offense, but we don't want our school. The, the, the school would not give him permission. We don't want our school um, depicted by the guy who just did a thing about Turkish prisons. So why don't you take yourself and get the fuck out of our place? And he puts it in the in his blog saying, and now on their, you know, beautiful school that they were able to make because of this film, this is by Lincoln Center, it says, you know, home of the, the movie fame, as depicted in the movie fame. So everybody is two-faced, of course, until everything turns out to be a smashing success. And, you know, that's, I love that kind of shit, right? And so you do a big, lavish musical like that, and it is. I mean, it really is great because you got, you're depicting everything the way we think of it in our heads. Musicians, comics, actors, dancers, and there's no pulling punches there. This is not a children's musical. This is not Grease. This is a good depiction of the times in a dirty, gritty New York City. You know, here's a director that was able to capture the disgustingness of New York City during that time and really not pulling any punch punches in racism or class structure or anything. It's really, really great. Completely holds up in a sense of, uh, wow, uh, a little slice of, you know, wow, this is what New York used to be. And, uh, you know, let alone, uh, as we all know, the very famous uh, Coco scene where she goes in for the audition has to pull off her top and starts crying. I mean, you know, that all the uh, Me Too and movement have, you know, risen up to. I mean, you know, it's fascinating. And, and, and there it is. And uh, it's, you know, really, you know, let alone the music and everything holds up. The graduation scene. It's such a good movie. I have no idea whether it is depicted of what happens at the High School of Performing Arts. But we'd like to think that's the way it went down. Just again, the grittiness that school looked at. They found an abandoned school to film. The school wouldn't let them film there. Oh, because he just did a movie about a Turkish prison. They're not seeming, seeming to understand that the year before that he did a, a, a musical with little children. And nobody seemed to care that he made Midnight Express um, and was nominated for Best Director. What a bunch of jerk-offs. We should all remember that the High School of the Performing Arts clearly has no vision. And you should tell... Uh, whoever, if you're, if you're not getting in there, you should let them know, oh, well, you're not going to let my son in? Well, let me tell you something. You guys don't have any vision because you didn't even let the guy film fame here. But now you take credit for it, you dumb fucks. Thank you. You know I love that kind of shit. I really like giving it to the people. Then he did that shoot. In the same year, in 1982, he did Shoot the Moon, which I didn't care for, and Pink Floyd the Wall. Can you imagine this guy? I mean, it's like that's... That's in, those are two, what? You're doing a heavy drama about divorce and how it affects your family. And then you're doing Pink Floyd, The Wall, as your next play. Because Roger Waters was just like, come on, man. 
you got to do this. He's like, I don't want to do it. He's like, come on, man. And now Roger Waters hates him. In fact, he says the reason why their last album, the final cut, Pink Floyd, has a a, a general with a film can in his hand and a, and a knife in the back is all depicted on how much he hates Alan Parker. But we know that Roger Waters is a complete and utter douchebag. So that's goddamn classic. He hated Alan Parker. He feels dissimilar as what I'm saying about this guy. Now, Birdie is a movie I've never seen with Nicolas Cage. I've heard it's very good. It's something I'd never seen. It's something I didn't want to see. You know, I don't like movies like that. And at that time, I wasn't going to watch sad movies like that. And this is 1984. What was I watching then? It was just before Back to the Future. I don't know. I was watching, uh, you know, those on like uh, Caddyshack and shit. I was just watching funny movies. I wasn't watching anything serious. Um you know, that's like a, you know, Vietnam PST, PSD, you know, I can never pronounce the post-traumatic PTSD movie stuff. Um, but then in 1987, he made one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. And I just stumbled upon it. Um, I didn't go to see it because it was Alan Parker and the director of fame. Uh, I think my friend Lawrence had told me about how great it was. And I'm like, I don't know. And... I think this is my favorite film that he made. I mean, it's weird. It's a weird film with a great twist, especially when you realize. And, and Robert did they got Robert De Niro when he was saying we went to Nicholson. It's always we went to Nicholson, but they got De Niro to be in it, and it's a small movie, and De Niro's amazing in it. And I, I don't, you know, if you haven't seen it, I really don't. I mean, I know it's from '87. I could tell you more about it, but I don't want to ruin it for you. And um, this is a, a scene that De Niro and, and Mickey Rourke, who was amazing and perfect and great looking at the time, you know, way before whatever the hell he did to his face. And he was he was one of my favorite actors at this point. I used to just watch movies because he was in it because of this movie and how goddamn cool he looks in this movie. Again, wearing the blazer and just looking so cool. And being like he really thought he was like a 1940s detective or something, even though it took place in modern day. And remember, this is the one with uh, uh, the girl from the Cosby show who, who was, you know, naked and doing crazy stuff and Lisa Bonet. And, you know, just all that stuff uh, kind of underplays the the greatness of this small movie. It's not, you know, a classic or anything, but it's really good and the plot is really cool seems so well you know what they say about slugs no what do they say about slugs they always leave slime in their tracks you'll find them no I won't find them because I left out one little detail. This Dr. Fowler guy ended up dead with his fucking brains blown out all over the place, all right? Uh, Fowler? Yeah, Fowler. Uh, did you kill him? No, I didn't kill him. But the cops might think I did. Mm. Hey, look, I took on a $125 a day missing persons job with you, all right? Now I'm a murder suspect. That's it, I'm out. Such are the hazards of your profession. Mr. Angel, if the fee bothers you, we can have it adjusted. No, Cypher, you bother me. Listen, the closest I ever come to death is standing on the corner on 2nd Avenue watching the stiffs go by in the hearse. 
right? That's the way I like it. Are you afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid. I'll instruct my lawyer immediately to send you a check for $5,000. If you don't want the job, I'll engage someone else. Five thousand. Five thousand. You must want this Johnny pretty bad, huh? I don't like messy accounts. You know, some religions think that the egg is the symbol of the soul. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Would you like an egg? No, thank you. I got a thing about chickens. And Robert De Niro eats the egg, which is so awesome and prolific and sets up the whole movie. And if you've seen the movie, then you know that De Niro is messing with him the whole time, which makes his... <laughs> Sometimes we forget. De Niro is so good. And he's brilliant in this film, absolutely brilliant. And they even depicted it, and I know this is stupid, but the Toxic Avenger Part 2, they even have a character that's pretty much playing the De Niro character in Angel Heart. I don't know if it made any money or whatever it did, but this is a classic scene and so classic that I guess I was working at a, a bank in 1987 when this came out. And uh, there was this kid who worked in the mailroom when we were friendly, and all we did were lines from this movie all the time. And he goes, he would call me Mr. Cypher, and he goes, you know, the egg is the soul. And he was obsessed with Mickey Rourke, too. And he'd be like, are you going to see Barfly? You want to go see Barfly this week? We should go see Barfly. And I'm like, oh, okay. Because me and the guy in the mailroom had a date to see Barfly, because we were obsessed with Mickey Rourke. And it's all from this movie, and it's such a good movie. Uh, but you know, you got to be in the mood and it's a very violent, but there's a good reason for all of it. And that's what makes it excellent. And if the people who were blaming Lisa Bonet, like that two faced bullshit piece of crap, Bill Cosby, man, don't be doing that when we're doing a family. (laughs) I can't do the Cosby anymore without coffee. How dare you? We're doing a family show here. And you're out showing your titties. No, that is nonsense. You can't do that on, you can't do that on television. Is what they're gonna call you when you do it. It's like, you got a lot of goddamn nerve. All right, I might be drugging and raping women, but you're showing your titties all over everybody. Oh, that's what they're paying the money to see What a two-faced piece of shit. Uh, anyway, Angel Hart. Yeah. And then he made Mississippi Burning, which I saw in the movies. I remember, geez, I remember that so well. I didn't like it, but that's because the it was too intense for me. But I saw it, and Gene Hackman uh, was nominated. Willem Dafoe was in it, I remember. Um, and it was intense. And uh, R. Lee Emery, our favorite, was in it because I, I remember a lot of his lines. I didn't even know who it was at the time. And uh, I... There's many, many times um, I practice my acting chops by myself and I do a line 
that Gene Hackman does from that movie, not because I've ever seen it again, it's just from the one time I see it. And I remember his character was just playing this guy. They didn't want him or Willem Dafoe there looking for these missing boys in Mississippi who were murdered by the Ku Klux Klan. And uh, he's like, well, we... Oh, we're just here looking for the missing boys. I'm always trying to make the, uh, I, you know, I remember watching it being like, wow, that's really great. I don't even know what it was that Gene Hackman was doing, but I just remember the one scene and there's a couple of parts that stuck with me, of course. Then, of course, I'll never forget, and I might have told you this before after I went to see that movie, I went to the bathroom after the show. And some guy in the bathroom goes to me like, boy, that was uh, pretty intense. But I'll tell you what it doesn't say is uh, that you're still going to see a black guy running down the street with a TV still, right? And I'm like, yeah, you got that right, mister. I couldn't even fucking believe that the guy said it to me in the bathroom like that. And why me? And, of course, I just play along because I don't want any trouble. I don't know whether I I think I laughed. I was like, ah, because... You know, what what am I going to start a fight with the guy who's obviously insane, who's going to say that in the public bathroom? Boy, that was something else. That was right after we saw the movie. Yeah, they don't tell you about the other side of that, huh? Wow. And that was in Manhattan. You know, it wasn't like we were in Jersey. Or maybe we were in Jersey. No, no, we were in Manhattan. I'm pretty sure by 88, I was certainly seeing the movie in Manhattan. Crazy, right? There's so much prejudice around and it's been around forever. And when I say I'm racist, I guess I'm not that racist because I wouldn't have said that to somebody in the bathroom like that. I I wouldn't have even said it in private. I wouldn't have even thought. In fact, that movie, you know, said to me, I'm like, boy, that's really bad. You know what I mean? God, that movie didn't speak to this guy at all. In fact, that's what I told my friend Lawrence. Boy, this guy learned nothing. He just sat there for two and a half hours and learned a goddamn thing. I don't know how that movie can't change you. That's how good it was. Not that I was feeling any other way but i was like boy you know black people have really had it difficult i mean like that that's how you come out of that movie that's how you're supposed to come out of that movie this guy didn't and this is in manhattan you know it's not like it's at you know in uh, western new jersey or you know uh or mississippi where maybe you know they show that movie like that ain't the true depiction Oh, and there's a bunch of other stuff that I remember in that movie, too. It's uh, oh, whatever. When they fly in, the specialist is going to, oh, I don't want to talk about it because it has to do with uh, testicles and stuff. Yipes, yipes, yipes. I mean, the guy deserved it, but, you know. Um, but then after that, he did the uh, the commitments in 91, which was a huge smashing success. And I'm like, look at this guy. This fucking Angel Heart Mississippi burning. Angel Heart is a, a spook picture, you know, like a horror film. Then there's Mississippi burning, which is like, you know, an Oscar winning uh, we got to do something about prejudice. And then you do the commitments, a, a broad musical again, but a different way of doing a musical. You know, it's like, obviously, this guy liked doing musicals. He did Pink Floyd, Bugsy Malone, Fame. And he liked doing musicals, but he did musicals that were made for modern times. He didn't do it like Grease or or Xanadu or something. You know, he made musicals that made sense. And the commitments was very popular about, you know, the... The music, trying to, a guy trying to get a soul band together in, I think, Dublin. And it had, again, the the seediness of uh, what fame had and everything, which, you know, musicals don't... They should do a musical like that now. You know, they're still doing lame musicals like Chicago and Les Mis where they're still just not telling the story. You know, and, and nobody does anything new. So maybe somebody is due. It's unfortunate he's dead. Somebody's due to do a... Uh, 
a musical that is that is not a Broadway play, and you're making a because musicals are still popular. So why not make another nice gritty one like this? Unless I'm missing something so obvious, but I can't think of anything offhand. Certainly not newsies. Thank you. And then, of course, he had to work with Madonna in Evita. He took on the the chore of that, and I've heard some very interesting things. I can't seem to find it anywhere, but I have heard the way he had to kind of treat Madonna uh, when when doing the picture. I couldn't wait not to see that movie. As you know, I hated the play. So uh, ugh, I hate Andrew Lloyd Webber. His music is horrible. And I think he made Andrew Lloyd Webber change a bunch of stuff, too, which is really actually, you know, real kudos to this guy who I guess, you know, was coming from doing a lot of interesting stuff where Andrew Lloyd Webber would be like, all right, we'll change it. I don't think he was happy about it. And then after that, he didn't really do anything. He did Angela's Ash in the Life of David Gale with the uh, the late Kevin Spacey. <laughs> and I never saw those and I didn't even care. And then he just left the business. I just didn't feel like movie making anymore, I guess, because, you know, he was one of those guys that enjoyed choosing what turned him on, having the ability to do so by two Oscar nominations and saying, I don't have the passion anymore. So I went out. But uh, again, if you go to alanparker.com, his blog is very, you know, Really great stuff. And uh, I'm looking. Wait, hold on. He was nominated. What was he nominated for? What do I got here? Uh, I guess he was nominated right for. Uh, no, I'm in the wrong place. Hold on a second. I'm sorry. Yes, he was nominated for Best Director for Midnight Express in 79. And then he was nominated for Best Director for Mississippi Burning in 88. And he was nominated at a Golden Globe for Evita as well. But he, who did he lose to? There's the question, of course. In um, 1989, he lost to uh, Barry Levinson, I believe, for Rain Man. What are you going to do? You know, I mean, uh, I don't think, yeah. He was up against Scorsese for The Last Temptation of Christ, the idiot who had directed Fish Called Wanda, which I've always hated, and Mike Nichols for Working Girl. Barry Levinson won for Rain Man, and um, good. Wait, I just saw that Coming to America was now, what? Wait a minute. What did I just see? Oh, Best Costume Design, oh. <laughs> Coming to America, that was a brilliant. And Dustin Hoffman won that year for um, Best Actor, and he was up against uh, Gene Hackman for Mississippi Burning and Tom Hanks for Big. But those were, that was a good year where you could say, well, yeah, what are you going to do? I didn't, like I said, I didn't really care for him. But Midnight Express, how do you lose that one? But um, he lost to, uh, I think, Coming Home won that year. And I, I did he win the Best Director? No, I'm sorry. The Deer Hunter one, Michael Cimino won for The Deer Hunter. Now, what are you going to do, right? It's a classic. Even though Michael Cimino, I don't think he did anything after that that was very good. But yeah, and it was up against Woody Allen, but for Interiors and uh, Warren Beatty and Buck Henry for Heaven Can Wait as Beck directors. But um, 
uh, I believe Oliver Stone actually won for best writer for Midnight Express. I can check that right now. Best picture was the Deer Hunter, right? Um, best right, yeah. Oliver Stone won. He won for Midnight Express, and um, that's good stuff. It's funny that the guy who uh, what's his name, Brad Davis, in Midnight Express, he wasn't even nominated. But that's uh, Alan Parker, very interesting fellow. And when I was you know, thinking about this and thinking about, should I talk about it? I kind of want to talk about it. I don't have that much to talk about about it. But I was thinking of this guy, Herbert Ross, who's the exact opposite of Alan Parker. Herbert Ross was known as just a, a studio director, a guy who you'd bring in like, I need you to direct this. He'd be like, all right. And I mean, this guy just directed the shit out of stuff, right? And he was a choreographer. He was like Bob Fosse. He was a choreographer, and maybe an actor until he started directing and he just directed everything. Whereas clearly Alan Parker just picked his projects. Maybe did one every year or every two years. And he's like, here's what I'm going to do this year. Hey, let's do a drama. He, he was like, I'm a day. It's like, can I do it in German? Can I do it? At you know, he was just like, Oh, let's do a drama. Let's do a scary one. Oh, let's do a musical. Let's do another musical. But this guy is fascinating. This Herbert Ross, and he's been dead for a while, but his first movie was, Goodbye, Mr. Chips, and the Owl and the Pussycat with Barbara Streisand, who clearly liked him because he was a choreographer. Maybe he was good. I don't know. I really don't know. And he had the, the, uh, was the, <laughs> I don't know what you call it, the honor of directing Play It Against Sam, directing Woody Allen in a movie, which, you know, is almost unheard of, but based on his play, because the guy did so much Broadway, he was like, this will be a great guy to do the plus. Did, did Woody Allen write the L in the pussy guy? Is that? I don't know. I don't think so. No, he did What's Up, Tiger. That's what it was, right? I get it mixed up all the time around the same time. But yeah, he directed Play It Again, Sam. Then he did The Sunshine Boys. Funny Lady, obviously. Asked by Barbara Streisand, probably. Then he did, can you believe it, The 7% seven Solution, which we've talked about multiple times, written by Nicholas Meyer, Sherlock Holmes, and uh, Sigmund Freud working on a, solving a mystery together. How much do I love that? Then he did The Turning Point. He did, listen, In 1977, he did The Turning Point, Chapter 2, and The Goodbye Girl. Now, I mean, that's just 1977. And understand... That in 1977, he was nominated for Best Director, this, you know, ex-choreographer who was just kind of a studio guy, just kind of churned out the work. He was nominated for Best Director for The Turning Point, which was a ballet movie. And he wasn't nominated for The Goodbye Girl, which was nominated for Best Picture. It's amazing that he was nominated for all, but we are okay with him losing all of that because Annie Hall won that year and Woody Allen won Best Director. I'll let it go. Woody Allen beat out Steven Spielberg for Close Encounters of the Third Kind and George Lucas for Star Wars. That's funny every time. But Richard Dreyfuss won, uh, you know, Best Actor in The Goodbye Girl. And Bancroft was nominated for The Turning Point, as was Shirley MacLaine and Marsha Mason The Goodbye Girl. Look at this guy. This guy directed four out of the five, out of the five, what, one, two, three, four, five, four out of the five actresses 
nominated for Best Actress that year. Anne Bancroft, Shirley MacLaine, and Marsha Mason. I'm sorry, three. One, two. Yeah, three out of the five. Sorry. That's unbelievable, right? And you never even heard of this guy before. It's really something else. And then obviously he had a thing with Neil Simon. Not a thing. But, you know, he did the chapter two. Bye, girl. California Suite. I ought to be in pictures. Max Dugan returns. I believe that was a Neil Simon thing as well. And then he directed Footloose. You believe this guy? Where's this guy? He's directed chapter two. He's directing Footloose. This guy's almost as prolific as Alan Parker, but he just doesn't care. They're like, hey, why don't you direct it? All right. I mean, he is a choreographer. He directs fucking Footloose. Then he directs The Secret of My Success, because who wouldn't want to work with the great Michael J. Fox? Then he directs Steel Magnolias. What is that? Julia Roberts is nominated for Academy Award. Look at this guy. He just knows how to direct. He knows how to, he knows how to take plays and make them movies, and he really seems to know how to get the best out of the actresses. It's amazing. True Colors. Oh, my God, right? That's the one that's on Jerry Seinfeld's shelf. That's with James Spader and John Cusack. You might see it. It's on his shelf in a, in a VHS copy. I love that movie. Soap Dish with Sally Field and that horrible Kevin Klein, which I like very much. I mean, now that's, that's a director. That is a workaholic, you know, just that's what you call a studio director. The guy directed all these things. No rhyme or reason. He's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, why not? Hey, you're okay. Well, that's pretty much it for today, I guess. We've talked for a while. I guess we talked much more than I thought. I mean, really, I only had like three things written on the paper, and I don't know what the hell I was doing. But um, that, you know... Uh, yeah, sorry, I hope that these uh, longer than normal ones are okay, but uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I was talking a mile a minute, having a good time, right? I'm like, hey, listen, oh, I'm on the Herbert Ross of stuff. Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, hey, you want to open for Gabby? Yeah, sure. Why not? What am I doing? Yeah, I'm like the Herbert Ross of comedy. Yeah, you asked me to do something. Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, why not? I'm, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, I'm a studio. I'm a studio comedian. Yeah, you call me in last minute, I'll take care of it. I'll do the job. I'll do all right. You know, whatever. Not the best. Yeah, do the right. Hey, I get a couple of laughs, you know. A couple of girls, uh, you know, maybe uh, nominated or something for uh, laughing. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> anyway, you guys, um, this is uh, so much fun. Next week is September 1st. You know, normally I take a break during this time. Um, but it's just such a strange year. I, I kind of need a break. I kind of need to recharge and everything. But so I don't know. I might take a break next week. I'm not sure. I'm thinking about it. I need to kind of just uh, you know figure out what I want to do with the podcast and everything. I mean, I love doing it like this. I'm just saying, make a couple of retooling things. You know, like I've always been talking about the patreon or whatever something like that maybe it wouldn't affect you know, this what you hear but i want to offer some other and better things maybe and stuff um obviously i'm going to have judy gold on the podcast uh, very shortly we're just working on a date to talk about her 
wonderful new book called uh, Can I say that? Is that what's going on? Oh, God, I'm horrible. I just have the other one. Um, but it's about cancel culture and being a comedian and, you know, what are we allowed to say anymore? And it's really great, really great. So I'm excited to have her on. And let's face it, I mean, she's going to be a great podcast guest. She's insane and hilarious. And she's just always yelling and screaming. So if you think I'm yelling and screaming, I mean, oh my goodness. And we've known each other for so long. So be, that'll be terrific. And I have a couple of other things really interestingly planned now that I know about how Zoom works and on YouTube and stuff. So. I'm just planning a couple things, so I'm not sure if I'll be here next week. I'll, you know, if I'm not, I'll be back in full force the day after Labor Day. But um, other than that, otherwise, we will see you either next week or in two weeks. I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of August and rest of your summer. And either way, we will see you as the calendar turns to the fall and September which is insane that we are still in a lot. Folks, my name is Dave Juskow, and you're listening to another edition of The Night Flow. We'll see you next time, everybody. Stay safe.